You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome, fellow frenzied fact fanatic followers and friends. This is Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. Today's show is episode 51, and of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your happy, snappy chaps who yap about fraps and maps. Wow. I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. All right. Without further ado, let's jump into our general trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hot Shot. Here I have a random trivial pursuit card, and you guys have your barnyard buzzers. Get them ready. Here we go. Blue wedge for geography. <laughs> Who became the first former donut maker to walk on the moon? Buzz Aldrin. Incorrect. <laughs> Neil Armstrong. Correct. Uh, Neil Armstrong, huh. former donut maker. Huh. Okay. Okay. All right. Pink wedge for pop culture. Oh, what founding member of the Beatles is credited with coining the band's name? Hmm. Um, the name came to. 50 oh, chance. Oh, man, 50, oh, man. 50. The name came to John Lennon in a dream. Incorrect. Oh. I'm going to guess Paul McCartney, Karen. Incorrect. Oh, wow. oh was it Stu? <laughs> yes. Oh. Stu Sutcliffe. Nice. Huh. That's a good one. That is. Yeah, I made that a false 50-50 choice. Oh, you did, yeah. <laughs> yes. like, yeah. like many, many other people, I forgot about Stu. Right. Yellow Wedge for history. What kind of gun was used to kill Abraham Lincoln? Oh. Was it a uh, Derringer? Yes! Mm. Wow, good job! Yeah, that's sort of the pocket-sized pistol of choice from that era, as far as I know. (laughs) Green Wedge for science. What plant is also known as Spanish juice root, sweetwood, and liquid? Hmm. Uh, I don't know, agave? Incorrect. Hmm. Hmm. Spanish juice root, sweet wood, <laughs> and liquid. I just, I got nothing. It is licorice. Ah, uh, uh, weird. <laughs> okay, last question. What parlor game do you end by going woo? Going, can you spell that, please? G O I N G, going woo, W O O. What parlor, what parlor game? What parlor game do you end by going woo? Woo. Woo. (laughs) All of them? Um, Yeah. Technically, it should be going who. Going who. I'm going to guess Mahjong. Correct. (laughs) Oh, oh, oh. That was the Americanized. Right, right. Going who. All right. Good job, brains. So this week, we will be talking about something that is the source of uh, nightmares for some people. (laughs) We're going to be talking about the circus. So step right up. that I looked up and I thought was really fascinating is we've talked about this before. You know, different professions have different set of vocabulary that they use. You know, we talked sure. about vaudeville sure, sure. in our comedy episode and other uh, jobs. They have all these like interesting lingo and even, you know, some of the terms we know date back into that profession. So mm-hmm. I didn't know this, but there is a private language of the circus and fairground folk and it's called parlari. Hmm. P-A-R-L-A-R-I. Hmm. 
And it's lots of languages kind of contribute to Parlari. It is not a written language, obviously, because it's spoken by people who work on the fairgrounds. It's a lot of European terms and most notably Romani, which mm. is the gypsy language. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you make the, the connection that back in the day, circus traveling groups of nomads, a lot of gypsies and kind of a lot of their uh, language spill into their work lingo. And some of the words have slightly different meanings uh, according to where you hear them. But one of the primary advantages of Polari is that customers wouldn't be able to understand it. Ah, it's like yeah. restaurant of slang, course. right? Yes, right. it is. So, so, I mean, there's the benefit of that. I'm going to go through some of the interesting words I found. So, do we know what a ballyhoo is? A ballyhoo. I mean, I just know it in like in the sense of like a big production or a yeah, big like mm -hmm. ruckus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ballyhoo, brouhaha. Mm -hmm. Much ballyhooed, much hyped. Yeah. Yes. So, ballyhoo. There's two circus meanings. Ballyhoo is the name of the moving spotlight. Like at the beginning of the circus, it's all dark and you see the spotlights kind of spinning around in a uh -huh. figure eight circle. That's called a ballyhoo. Uh -huh. And the other one is related to what we know. It's kind of like publicity, hype, and it comes from early 1900s, which is um, kind of like a sample of the circus or mm. of a sideshow. Mm -hmm. So go into town, they have a couple of performers perform to yep. kind of entice the crowd. Mm -hmm. Be like, come check out the circus. And uh, geek. Mm -hmm. The oh, word yeah. geek. Yeah. <laughs> I learned it that geek historically was the person who bit the heads off chickens. Was that right? Yeah, yeah. or like, you know, the sword swallowers and those sort of sideshow type. So, uh, right. Yeah, so it's sideshow freak, but mm -hmm. also in U.S. circus slang, it could be a variant of the word geck, G-E-C-K, which means a, a fool, hmm. a simpleton. I mean, uh, it, it still carries some of the sense of outcast. sort of being a fringe, ostracized. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of. I can, I can see the connection. And there's also gaff. And we probably are more familiar with the word gaff in like movie production. Sure, gaffer. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so gaff means a, a fairground. And probably it's from the Romani word G-A-V, gav, which means town mm. or a place. And gaffer means boss, someone who took care of the ground. Hmm. And so I can see how that kind of um, circus lingo then trickled into theater, then trickled into film. So you have the gaffer is, you know, person who rigs stuff up, who takes care of, like, the venue right. in a way. Right. And then I also didn't know that there is an actual word for this. So we see in movies or actually, you know, when we watch circus, they have, like, the kind of the parade of clowns that come in and they fumble and there's a lot of music and uh. a lot of hoopla. There's a name for it. It's called a charivari. Shivery. <laughs> charivari is also very closely related to shivery, which is another word, and it's the noisy whirlwind uh, entrance of clowns, like stuffing all these people into a van. So do you guys know what chorophobia is? <laughs> chorophobia? I'm gonna guess, since we're talking about fear. circus, yeah. fear of clowns? It is, yes, it's fear of clowns. <laughs> but the etymology of it is a little bit weird. It might actually mean fear of stilt walkers. How do you spell it again? <laughs> what is it? C-O-U-L-R-O phobia. Mm. Yeah, oh. because ancient Greeks didn't really have clowns, but they did have stilt walkers and it's kind <laughs> <Yeah>. of... <laughs> I am going to talk about clowns. I uh, think bozophobia, personally, oh, yeah, has, yeah. has much snappier. Easier to remember, for sure. <laughs> so the reason why I started with cholrophobia was I'm kind of afraid of clowns. I know a lot of people are kind of afraid of clowns. There's a, this study in England and they surveyed 250 kids from the ages of 4 to 16 who are in a hospital, and all 250 
felt uncomfortable with the idea of going every single child. And I was like, <laughs> now, do, you, do you think that's like some sort of weird negative reinforcement thing where like hospitals put up pictures of clowns trying to reassure kids and then kids only associate them with like oh. getting hospitals, shots or yeah. yeah. They were saying it's like it's a human body, a recognizable human body with an unrecognizable it's, human it's, it's like It's uncanny. It's uncanny. Yeah. It goes into the yeah. uncanny valley for them yep. and it freaks them out. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, why are there clowns at the circus? Like mm-hmm. if it's such a nightmare for, for people almost universally, <laughs> um, why do we have them? And they actually serve a really important purpose in the circus. They keep the show moving. They help mm. usher people in. Mm. They're the breaks between the animal oh. animal acts and the um, big acrobatic acts. They kind of give comic relief. And then I was looking at the design of, of clown shows and how they organize those performances. And they have um, all these different terms for it. So the hour or so before people are coming in, it's called the come in. And they are in the seats hanging out and they're doing things in the in the main area that encourage people to go to their seats. So the circus is this this big moving machine of all these different acts and things that don't necessarily hang together. The clowns are the glue right. that hold wow. it together. So. The benefit is it draws your attention away visually from them setting up, sweeping stuff. up, and you know, elephant poop or moving <laughs> animals around. Sure. It's like yeah. here's something to watch while we're changing scenery. Mm. I was like, oh, I like thinking of clowns as the glue that holds the whole thing together to make it just keep moving and be a positive, exciting experience. Even though clowns are terrifying, like when they're up in your face, like <laughs> it's like it's like the modern day loading screen, but hmm. there's like things going on. Interesting. So you're waiting for the big show to load, but there's something going on to keep your attention and making the, the wait time a lot a lot seem a lot slower. They're, they're like the cutscenes in a yeah. video yeah. game, right? Exactly. Yeah. Wow, nerds. <laughs> <laughs> So clowns used to be a much bigger deal probably than they are today. There's this guy named Dan Rice, and he's he's been called the most famous man you've never heard of. Huh. I contest I've never heard of him. I never yeah. heard of him. But during the mid-1800s, he was a circus clown. He owned a circus. He traveled all around. So Wikipedia says this, and I, I couldn't find the exact source, but they said he was more recognizable than Abraham Lincoln. At, at what, that time. At that time. He ran for Senate and Congress and President, and he actually <laughs> coined um, some phrases that you might know today jump on the bandwagon ah. the bandwagon yeah was for the circus and had the clowns and the music and the excitement and he was campaigning for zachary taylor to be president it was like oh come up here candidates and people will see you and it, it became common practice for wow. politicians Interesting. to jump on the bandwagon and so he's really playing on his direct association with the circus so he also is said to have coined or, or people in his employ have coined the term hey rube which is uh the distress call talk. yeah oh, I don't if know you're well, yeah i don't know this what is it so basically you have to understand like when the circus came to town not everybody in town was happy that the circus had come to town because a lot of people saw circus you know performers as being like not respectable or sure. you, know, and, you know some of them were scammers you know so you'd have altercations a lot very violent altercations sometimes between the townspeople and the members of the circus if they throw all out drinking or whatever mm-hmm. hey rube was the distress call from one circus person to another if they found themselves in mortal danger ah. like if somebody was assaulting them that's the code word you know that they would sort of yell out so that any circus performer or itinerant or anybody who was in on it heard they would come rushing to his aid yeah. Dan Rice huh 
Dan writes, have oh. you ever heard of One Horse Show? Yeah. So, what does that mean? It's a small show, but like they just really max out and milk the most for what they have. Okay. okay. Yeah. So people were saying that about Dan Rice's after he kind of fell on hard times. He only had one horse, and uh, they were like, oh, it's just a one horse show. And then he worked it. He made it work. He, and he, <laughs> he like, embraced yeah, it. We are a one uh, horse show. I like <laughs> so, that. Yeah, I like that. In reading about the circus in preparation for all of this, kept coming across a lot of lists of circus superstitions. Oh, yeah. Um, interestingly enough, you know, also found a good rationale for why there are so many circus superstitions. The author of the book, The Encyclopedia of Superstition, said this to PBS. The most superstitious people are those involved in occupations or activities that are potentially dangerous and involve circumstances beyond their control. Makes sense. Makes mm-hmm. total sense, right? You're, you're facing danger every day, or you have circumstances that are beyond your control. Like, are you going to get audience members coming in? Are you going to make any money? Right, um, right. The other two populations that tend to be really superstitious are just show, showbiz and theater in general yes, and sports absolutely. and athletics. And yep. the circus is kind of a, a, an intersection of both of those. <laughs> it is. It is. Absolutely. Yep. So here's a bunch of circus superstitions for you and when I have them the explanations for people's best guesses for how they evolved well the first one I mean we've we've all heard this now but this is often cited as a circus superstition is that accidents happen in threes bad mm, things happen in triples threes. Ah. Um, oh, and so that. I mean it may not have come from the circus but at some point it certainly settled into circus lore so like you know if one accident happens watch out for the next two accidents this is one of those self-fulfilling prophecies because <laughs> you know as soon as one accident happens everybody's going to be on the lookout something little that ordinarily wouldn't have been thought of as an accident will be counted as the two and then the three. It's the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Consciousness. Yes. If a bird flies into the big top, it portends the death of a... uh, of one of the members of the troop. Inside the tent? Inside the tent. Mm. Because that would be the bird coming to take the soul away. Soul away. Yeah, exactly. A good luck superstition is that the hair of an elephant pulled from his tail or his trunk is good luck. Oi. Um, yeah. Uh, the elephant's, elephant's like, all right, enough, guys. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, no, actually, I mean, it's... Uh, I think the reason it's considered good luck is because it's so hard to get your hands on one. Like, you don't want to walk up to an elephant and, like, pull the hair out of his trunk because he will stomp your head into a fine paste <laughs> also you are not supposed to uh, have any peacock feathers on you or as part of your costume this also comes from romani tradition because apparently they believe that the signature eyeball sort of design that we see in peacock feathers mm-hmm. is considered to be like the evil eye oh. yep when you're entering the ring in the big top, always put your right foot in first. I've heard that. I've this heard. Is, I've heard yeah. a lot of the stuff with the first foot in, and, and you see that at, you see that one actually a lot in sports and athletics too. Yep. Yeah. Put your, put your right foot in a first. lot of players. Yeah. yeah. You know, right foot on, across the line under the baseball diamond first. Yeah. Look at that. See, left is left bad is luck. bad, and right is good. Yeah. Never sleep inside the big top. Do not go into the big top and go to sleep. Um, Don't sleep there over the evenings. The real reason or the the best reason I can find is because, remember, we have this acrimonious relationship Uh, between the townspeople or just really curious townspeople or drunk townspeople. If they walk over to where your circus is, the first thing they're going to do if they're going to try to sneak into your tent and see all the sideshow freaks and geeks up close and personal is they're going to gravitate right towards the big top. Mm -hmm. So if you're sleeping in there, that's where they might break into and find you. Never count the audience. Don't look at the audience and don't count up the audience. This is just practical. You don't want to go out in the audience and look at the audience and be like, oh, there's not a lot of people. Then you're going to get depressed (laughs) and not perform really well. Also, you don't want to go out and be like, oh, my God, there's so many people. And then you get really nervous and you don't perform really well. That's just practical. Once someone puts down their dressing trunk, don't 
move it because that means that person might then be leaving the circus. And in fact, this is really one of the ones that is still, I think, followed today. When you bring in your dressing trunk and you put it down, that's where it is. Uh, don't eat peanuts in the dressing room. I have no idea why this is true, but this is absolutely well, it, invites, it invites the elephants. Yeah, the elephants yeah, would come I raging mean, in there. Come on now. And then finally, this is not so much a superstition. You will never hear a circus band play the song Stars and Stripes Forever. Huh. And again, there's a practical reason for this. And in fact, if you hear a circus band play Stars and Stripes Forever, get out of the tent. Stars and Stripes Forever is the disaster song. It is the cue to the members of the circus that there is a fire, oh, something terrible has happened. Code. And the yeah. thing is, it's because when there's a fire and everybody's inside of a tent, you don't get on the PA and go, there's a fire, everybody panic. You play Stars and Stripes Forever, and then every, and then all of the circus members know something is really, really uh, wrong, and then they can, in an orderly fashion, start escorting people out. This happened in the Great uh, Hartford Circus Fire in the, I believe, the early part of the 20th century, one of the worst fire disasters in terms of loss of life that ever happened in America. Uh, um, the band played Stars and Stripes Forever. They started trying to evacuate people, but unfortunately, exits were blocked, and uh, bad thing, and like hundreds of people died. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you hear Stars and Stripes Forever, get up, get out. You talked about peanuts, and I want to know if elephants actually really do eat peanuts. Because you see it in Dumbo, the movie. Sure, it's certainly a trope, yeah. I'm actually quoting from the Ringling Brothers resource Mm -hmm. that it is false. Elephants (gasps) might eat a peanut, but they don't really eat peanuts as food and it's because they're too high in fat and mm. they're also really small and the oh, elephant is yeah, huge that's true like the mass of peanuts you'd have elephant, to eat a lot yeah. of peanuts yeah and some other cool elephant facts a common myth how elephants are scared of mice that's as, as so yeah. many cartoons would have us believe yeah false also yeah. propagated yeah. by by Dumbo yeah, yeah. <laughs> also Dumbo that movie had some scary clowns. Yeah, there was some scary that mean clowns. Nightmare fuel. The whole oh movie yeah, was scary. Yeah. Last myth: <laughs> elephants do not drink water through their trunk right, like a straw. Right. It's their nose. I mean, it, it would is. be like it would be like you trying to snort water through your nose. Well, you can they, do that. They do <laughs> snort water halfway. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. And so oh, it's I like see. a receptacle, uh-huh. and they curl their nose and then, and then they put it, put in, it in their mouth. mouth. So which is kind of gross. Like if drinking you think from about your nose. Yeah. Yeah. You get some boogers and stuff. Well, speaking of elephants, there is no more famous elephant that I can think of than Jumbo the Elephant. Sure. And if you have never heard of Jumbo mm-hmm. the Elephant, Jumbo the Elephant was... This is one of my favorite trivia bits, so let's just get out of the way right off yeah. the top. Jumbo the Elephant is where we get the word Jumbo. Right. So he was not named Jumbo because, because he was so big. big. Yeah. So when you talk about a Jumbo Jet or a Jumbo Size Anything, mm-hmm. that shrimp. word was introduced, Jumbo Shrimp, introduced into our language from the elephant. So we, when we say that, we are invoking the memory of Jumbo the mm. Elephant. So certainly in America, he is tied really closely with P.T. Barnum. I think we can agree, probably the biggest name in American circus history, maybe even worldwide circuses. Jumbo really became famous as part of the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus for being a 13-foot tall at the shoulder elephant. I mean, he he really was huge. Um, but let's go back. Jumbo really came to fame in, in London. So he was an elephant captured in Abyssinia, what, you know, what today is Ethiopia, in the 1860s. 
and was in Paris for a little while, ultimately ended up in the London Zoo. And he was just an absolute smash hit. I mean, people loved Jumbo the Elephant. Just because he's big? Because he's big. And it was just, you know, again, this is the mid-late 1800s when the golden age of exotic things traveling the world and expositions and shows. And and Jumbo really fit right into that craze. P.T. Barnum. So he bought him to bring him over to the States and show him as a spectacle. And he did. He paid $10,000 in 1881 dollars, which is about (laughs) about a quarter of a million today. brought Jumbo over, had several shows at Madison Square Garden in New York, and it was just a huge hit. I mean, he made his money back almost right away. One of the other things about P.T. Barnum, the many, many innovations he had to the circus, like he is credited as being the father of the idea of the three-ring circus. That was his idea. Uh, You know, and we associate circuses with traveling on railroad. That He's also kind of credited with really pioneering that as the means of moving your circus Uh around. Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, Jumbo met his end in a railroad yard. After a show in 1885, they were getting everybody back to the railroad yard trains, and he was hit by a train. Oh, no! And, yeah, it was. It actually is really sad and really yeah. tragic. This is one of the dangers of having animals around the trains. He was hit mm. by a train. Mm. Ever the huckster and showman, Barnum even spun a story that, well, you know, Jumbo was heroically trying to save the life of a younger <laughs> elephant and he moved him out of the way of his trunk <laughs> at the last second and took the blow himself and died and that's all hogwash yeah. Um, yeah. that didn't happen but of course you know Barnum found a way to t- turn tragedy into treasure so he now went and sent two separate traveling shows mm-hmm. one of Jumbo's skeleton yep. and one of Jumbo's hide that he kind of reconstructed you know taxidermy wise mm-hmm. and he's like well I'm you know doubling my profits now so he had two traveling shows after that I mean because again Jumbo was um, yep. almost like a folk hero at yep. this point and people still flocked to, to see his remains on display mm-hmm. the other thing that I should mention about P.T. Barnum P.T. Barnum was an original trustee of Tufts University very no. Yes. And he basically gave them a lot of money. After Jumbo died, he bequeathed most of Jumbo's remains to the university. And I guess to this day, he is the the sports teams, the mascots names there, the Jumbos at Tufts University. Yeah. (laughs) I may have pointed out that I went to Tufts University. So, I mean, everybody learns this, that the, the stuffed remains of Jumbo were donated by P.T. Barnum to Tufts. We, we had it there for a long time. It um, burned It burned in down the in 70s. fire. They had apparently taken the tail off for a restoration job that they were doing, and so we have the tail. <laughs> and we have a can of ashes, but that's all that remains, unfortunately, of the uh, of the original the oh, Jumbo stuff. The tail's the luckiest Taxidermy part. Jumbo, yeah. sure. Apparently, a, quote, over-exuberant fan uh, accidentally snapped off the end of his tail oh. uh, which they then put into the private collection and replaced with a <laughs> replacement tail yeah uh, and decoy then as, tail. Yes, a decoy tail and then as you said they mm-hmm. have these ashes that are the remains yeah it's unclear whether they are actually the the direct remains but it, it is some from ashes the from the fire yeah. so the belief is somewhere in there there is a little bit of uh, jumbo still hiding in there and I guess yeah. it's a lucky totem among the sports teams I think that the tail is not on display unfortunately um, I mean, the tail yeah. is in their college archives. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Kind of they, after after it was broken off once. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but there is a, a train. there is a there is a big ugly concrete statue of Jumbo in the quad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Perfect. it's not the it's not the most attractive thing. Right, right, yeah. right. All right, let's take a quick break. A word from our sponsor. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Good Job Brain. Smooth puzzles. Smart trivia. Good Job Brain. We're back, and this week we're talking about the circus. And one of my favorite things to do at the circus or at carnivals, I love playing the midway games. Totally. You know, with the little booths and like a barker. And from the entrance of the fairgrounds to the big top, Mm -hmm. there is the midway, which Mm -hmm. is the the way leading up to the big top. And, you know, they have the concessions there, they have some of the sideshow stuff, and they have these games. So, you know, as you trickle over to the big top, or, you know, when the show's over and you're coming out, there's more stuff to do. There's more money to be uh, made. Uh, from the townspeople. And of course, a lot of these games were essentially scams. Oh, I mean, a lot of them still oh, are. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I mean, no, absolutely. Try to put it in a, dip- in a <laughs> diplomatic way. <laughs> there are two sources I looked up. There's Glenn Hester and Bill Howard, and they're both police officers who investigate scams, hmm. um, especially within carnival games. Glenn Hester actually is a magician himself. They're police officers, so they try to crack some of the stuff down. And I'm going to talk about some of the popular and common midway games and how they scam you Great. and how to win them despite Ooh. the scam. All right. So, Colin, I'm sure you probably, as a kid, love basketball free throw. Oh, yeah. Basketball free throw. It's simple. You have a basketball and there's a hoop and a net and you try to make the throw. Maybe you pay like a dollar for a ball or a dollar for three balls. Right. And so that's that's mm-hmm. pretty much the setup, right? The scam is that the balls are your regular basketballs, but they're overinflated. Mm-hmm. So they're super, super bouncy. And the hoop is kind of far away, so you can't really tell. Mm-hmm. It's usually a little bit smaller than regulation basketball hoops. Sometimes yeah. they're not even round. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've heard that they're mm-hmm. oval sometimes. They're oval <laughs> um, and not really a perfect circle. The backboard is made out of plywood, making it extra bouncy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The net may be positioned higher. Some say that there's stuff in the background like nets and stuff, and it screws with your depth perception. I think that might be too much of a stretch. Right. But already you have all of these yeah, things you don't even going need, against you. don't even need to mess with depth yeah. perception. Yeah. yeah, at that point. So what's the trick to win? Sadly, the basketball free throw is probably the hardest game huh. to win, just with so many things against you. Right. In addition to having a perfect aim, you have to throw the ball with a perfect 
high arc swish. Right, because it almost has to right come straight down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, it cannot hit the backboard. It, bounces, yeah. it cannot hit the hoop. It just needs to be perfectly swoosh right in. That's not really the trick. Right, to win, right. But, you know, yeah. That's I'm the just strategy. Um, another one, I'm sure, Colin, you like this one because you always talk about this one too, the balloon dart throw. Oh. So the setup, you pay and you get a set of darts. There is a bunch of balloons tacked on a board. And each one, each balloon inside contains like a slip and it denotes like a prize, you know, what mm-hmm. different colors or whatnot. And your job is to throw the darts to pop the balloon and get the prize. The scam is the balloons are underinflated, mm. so there's a lot of stretch. <laughs> right. There's a lot of give and there's bounciness to the balloon surface, making the dart deflect or bounce off. Sure. And of course, the darts themselves right. aren't like your regulation awesome sharp darts. They, yeah. They've they, been pre-dulled. Yeah. Yep, yeah, they've been pre-dulled. It's like a magic trick where the guy pulls out a deck of cards and you assume it's an ordinary deck of cards, but it's not. You know, like all these assumptions in your brain, like, oh, how did they How did they do that? How is this possible? It's like you're making assumptions about these mm-hmm. things that are not true. The difference between a magic trick and a carnival scam is that the carnival scam person is out to, like, take your money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's the trick to win? You know what? Forget accuracy. Just throw the dart as hard as you yeah. can. Just to have oh. the balloon pop is already, mm. you know, hard enough. So right. just make that your your priority. Got it. Another popular one, the milk bottle throw. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. The setup, you pay. Uh, these all start with you pay. And you, uh, <laughs> they all start with you pay, and they all end with them taking your yeah, money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you get a set of heavy, like, hacky sacks. There's a pyramid of milk bottles, one bottle sitting on a base of two. Mm. And the objective is to throw the bean bags or the softball to knock all of the milk bottles down. Mm-hmm. And have them on their side. That's the important thing. It's not like I'm just knocking the top down and the, 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 the base bottles are still standing up. They all have to be on their sides. The scam, obviously, is that the bottles used at these carnival games are often made with leaded bottoms. So they're actually really, really, really heavy. Right, right. Another trick they do, and I saw this, I think, in Nova before, is when the game operator is setting up the pyramid, they'll place one bottle an inch closer to you. It just kind of sticks out a little bit. So when you throw your ball, it'll most likely hit whatever is protruding first and mm-hmm. just ricochet off right. before hitting anything mm-hmm, else. Mm-hmm. The trick to win. Does anybody know? I always just throw it as hard as I can at the base of the pyramid. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> most people hit at the intersection. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, I'm trying to get all three. Mm-hmm. Just hit the base. Hopefully, create a topple effect. The top one won't stay up if you knock the bottom two down. Well, and the other thing, too, I mean, like Chris, as you said, like a good magic trick, part of these good carny games is setting them up so they seem easy. So, you know, the guys can stack them in such a way that they can knock it down. You know, you might have the heavy one on top or something like that, but Mm -hmm. then they stack it against you when it's your time to throw. That's right. Yep, Mm -hmm. yep, yep. And there is the one that I've always been so confused about and also... I'm sure I know what this one is. <laughs> Which one? Is it the one where you drop the metal circles onto the big red circle? No. What? The, oh, the dot. The dot. That, You're not going to talk about the dot? No, I'm not going to talk about the dot, but we can. We can? So the dot, I mean, this one fascinates me. So they have um, a big red circle on the table in front of you. So they take your money, obviously, <laughs> and they give you five metal circles. And then they say you have to take it and hold it above the big red dot and drop the metal circle so that it covers the entirety of the red circle. Mm. If after you drop the metal circles onto it, and you can't move them once you've once you've dropped them. Like obviously. discs. Yeah, discs. Okay. Metal discs mm-hmm. to drop onto a red dot. And if any red remains, you lose. But if you cover the whole thing, you win. There's no scam. Like, you can do it, 
it's just deceptively mm. hard. Like it's it's really 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 hard, but it, they make it seem easy. Right. And right. the trick to it is, you can look online. They will tell you exactly how to do it. Just you have to lay the dots down in an incredibly precise pattern in order to do it the right way. And if you mess up dropping one of the discs by like a centimeter, you're done. You're mm. done already. I have to say, I like the ones that aren't really scams in the sense. They're more just, you know... Hard to do. Yeah, you or look, just finding yeah. little loopholes yeah. or playing on your expectations. You look like, at it, it's like, oh yeah, I can do this, yeah. but you really can't. It's actually very difficult. Some of them don't need to be scams. Like the guess your weight, guess your thing. There's no scam. You just make the cost of playing more expensive than the cost of the prize you get yes, out. Yes, that is and exactly... If you, and if the guy guesses right, great. And you if the guy guesses profit. wrong, you're still yeah. making a profit. I'm like, that's, right. that's so deviously brilliant. So that's the thing I would say, the guess your way or guess what month you're born. (laughs) It's not necessarily a game. It's you have to really treat it like it's a show. Um, There is a trick with guess your birth month. There is a very common trick. It's called the J line. The usual rule is the carnival barker has to guess within two months of a buffer. Mm -hmm. And so what they do is you're like, guess what month? And then he'll scribble down a piece of paper. So what they scribble down is something (laughs) That obviously starts with a J and scribble. Does it say January? Does it say June or July? Right. Any of the J months, they can... That covers like nine months out of the year. No, no. It covers 11. It covers 11. 11 out of the 12 is within a J month. Only if you were born in October. Correct. Yeah. And then they say, so am I two months away? And you say, no, you're like, you were born in October. You can't be like, so what does this say? What did you write here? Can you please read that out for me? (laughs) Right. So if they show you a, a J with a scribble, after it say <laughs> which month is that exactly yeah. well yeah. because they will ask you first mm. be like oh i was born in february aha so i is guess this january. Your car, right? yeah yeah oh That's right yeah, i guess january well again like yeah. like good magic so much as misdirection yeah yeah, yeah. but the oh, guess the your J way line That's yeah it's good. called the j line the guess your way is like i said it's more of a, a show it doesn't really matter who wins or loses because usually the prize that you get is crappier than <laughs> right. the $1 you put in. There is a, a gender play, right? If it oh, is bet. a woman, the guesser will always guess low on the age and weight. Yeah, that makes they sense. They don't care if they're wrong. Because part right. of the fun is, oh, oh no, no, I don't, yeah. Oh, no, 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 exactly. It's like, you're, okay, I'm going to guess you're 26. And they're like, I am, yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, exactly. If it's wrong, she wins a prize. The prize is worth less than a dollar. What a fun game. Yeah, what a fun game. Sometimes a carnival barker might have a string of wins, and that might attract, like, a whole crowd. Be like, oh, wow, he's he's doing it so well. And Or if he has a string of losses, you have a crowd be like, oh, I'm going to go next and win a prize. Mm-hmm. No matter what, if he's right or wrong, his main deal is to draw a crowd yep. and to make sure people have a good time. And even if that means he guesses wrong and they win a crappy prize, he got the money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was your favorite. That's your favorite. No, no. my favorite. Uh, my favorite is milk bottles. Oh, I've actually yeah. won. Mm. Oh, nice. A milk bottle. Did you really? Like, win? Did I really? How win? many yeah. times did you have to pay them a dollar before they gave you a two dollar <laughs> stuff toy? I, w- I remember I won a giant ugly troll doll, like yeah. a giant troll doll. Like yeah. stuff with styrofoam right. beads. <laughs> you, you know, Karen, you may have been the person that they used to get. There might have been like a big, strong dude with his girlfriend standing oh, next yeah. to you, and they might have set the milk bottles up to let you win and given you a huge troll doll so that the big, strong man it's would like, go, oh, we What? Go. This, this girl just knocked over the bottles? I can do, do it. it too. And then yeah. he'll do it a million times with it set up the wrong way and never do it. 
Another another slang term from the carnival, which I don't think you covered, was uh, Mark. Yeah. We use this uh, in uh, we, me, and the other professional wrestlers. No, <laughs> they yes, they yes. use this in professional wrestling to yep. also it means it means our target. It means this guy is buying into all of this. Right. They use it in professional wrestling to mean somebody who believes in professional and wrestling. Do, do you, you know, know where the the mark comes I, from? I do. Directly. Yeah. They uh, if if a carny where a carnival worker were to identify a person who was a real big sucker, they'd pat him on the back and say, oh, too bad, you lost, you'll get him next time. And they mark his back with chalk. And so that chalk mark will identify him to the other carnival workers because... Sir, step right up, you look like a winner. Exactly, (laughs) yep, yep, yep. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Well, we've talked about performers and acts and all these other things. We have not talked about food Yay! at the circuses. I mean, I suppose with the well, exception peanuts. of peanuts. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. true. Peanuts. Food. Right. Yeah. If you were in Australia and you asked someone for fairy floss, what would you be expecting to get? <laughs> Punch in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Probably cotton candy. Good guess. Yes. In Australia, what we call cotton candy, they call fairy floss. Huh. And it actually makes sense. I kind of like that imagery. Ethereal. The beauty of cotton candy, I mean, also is just its simplicity. I mean, do you, do you know how many ingredients there are in cotton one. candy? One. There is one ingredient in cotton candy. It is mm. sugar. Mm-hmm. It is just sugar and air. But, you know, this is one of those things where it was really, it didn't become a huge widespread hit until just the right kind of machinery was invented to mass produce it. The basic idea is is actually really old. I mean, you can find old cookbooks and old references to what is essentially what we would call cotton candy now. The problem is just it was just really tedious to make, and you, it was not at all suited to large scale production. So it'd be the kind of thing you'd find at like an upscale confectioner's shop, or if you were making something really fancy dinner at home. And the old process was you melt some sugar, you put like a knife or a fork into it, and you kind of just draw out these little threads, and you just do that over and over again until you've got a little mass of cotton candy. There are some competing claims to who's sort of the father of modern cotton candy, you know, as there are with many other things. But it, but it definitely has true, honest roots with circuses and fairs. It's indisputable that the patent was first issued to William Morrison and John Wharton of Tennessee in 1899. And there are a lot of machines that are very similar. It's essentially just a little spinning bowl in the middle of a larger cooling bowl. And you put the sugar in the middle, it heats up and melts, and then as it spins, it shoots out the side of the bowl in little holes to shoot out little threads Mm -hmm. and as soon as they hit the air they cool and then you just sort of collect the little threads from the outside of the bowl and their machine and their food they named it fairy floss Mm -hmm. so the fairy floss was the original name for this mass-produced product so they took it to the st louis world's fair in 1904 which is really where cotton candy became a thing now to say that people went bonkers for it would be a gross, <laughs> gross understatement. Really? It was a absolute <clears throat> smash hit. No one had seen it in mass no, quantities yeah. before. So it was 25 cents for a box of cotton candy. Now, mm. this is 1904. That's, that's roughly equivalent to uh, $6 today. Oh. Mm. Mm. They sold... 
around 70,000 boxes of cotton candy at the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just to put that in perspective, this is just heated sugar spun out, and they made equivalent of, you know, $400,000 profit on this. Nice. And so you can see why very quickly this became a favorite of carnivals and circuses and foods. Profit is huge. It's so simple. It's just... But you've got to have the machine. You've got to have the machine. You can't make it at home. That's right. It's, I mean, it's about 30 grams of sugar. You Mm -hmm. know, the cotton candy industry loves to point out that, well, there's there's less sugar than the average can of soda, which, true. which is true. Yeah. 90% air, 30 grams of sugar, <laughs> and you're selling it for upwards of $5. Yeah. Quintessential circus food. My really, my earliest memory of going to the circus was of cotton candy. I remember that more than the, the bears <laughs> or the elephants or whatever the clowns. I just remember this gigantic thing of cotton candy mm. the size of my head. Oh, wait, hold on. Yes. How do you guys eat your cotton candy? Because I have a very oh. specific Well, I learned really quickly. You can't just go yeah. biting in it. That's you get mm. like sticky face. So I, I pull off little chunks of it mm. and I kind of roll them into a little ball. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, and really? then I put it in my mouth. And then the fun part for me is you let it dissolve. Yeah. Right? All right. And that was a good trip to the circus. Time for our last trivia segment. And I'm going to name our last trivia segment the International House of Pancakes. (laughs) We know that there is always some sort of pancake-like food. Oh, yeah. In in different cultures. Um, It's like like the dumpling. Like, every culture has their version. Every culture has some sort of sandwich. Every culture has some sort of dumpling. Every culture has some sort of pancake food. Mm -hmm. So this quiz, International (laughs) House of Pancakes, is uh, quizzing you guys' pancake IQ. So here we go. This particular traditional Slavic pancake is usually made with buckwheat flour and often served as a vehicle for caviar. Oh. Colin. Uh, those blini? Yes, yeah. blini. All right. Lots of baking soda is added to this English yeast-laden pancake to give it its characteristic holy texture. Dana. Crumpet? Yes, crumpet. Nice. Also known as a pikelet. Pikelet? pikelet? Yeah. Sounds kind of offensive. Like a, I don't like know. a small pike. <laughs> the Welsh and uh, other Commonwealth countries call it a pikelet. <laughs> this type of pancake from Japan can feature almost every savory topping under the sun, but most likely cabbage, meats, fried noodles, and seafood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not is. done, but go uh, ahead. Oh my god, oh, how paused. long is this yeah. question? <laughs> go ahead. It's okonomiyaki. Yes, okonomiyaki, which literally means uh, whatever you like to cook. Yeah. Or cook. whatever you like. <laughs> cooked food. as you like it. I was I was served once uh, something they called like, oh, it's like an American okonomiyaki. And it was like two okonomiyakis, almost like the Big Mac of okonomiyakis <laughs> with like cheese, and they stuck an American flag toothpick on the top of the whole thing. They may have made this just for me. I'm not really sure. I don't know whether to be delighted or chagrined that to make something American usually just means adding cheese to it. Double it. Double it it and add cheese. Yeah, Yeah, make it bigger with cheese. Yeah. What type of pancake originated from the region Brittany? Dana? Is it a crepe? Yes, it Ah, is a crepe. Of course. From the French region, uh, north region of Brittany. Mm-hmm. Follow-up question, Dana. Mm-hmm. What beverage is traditionally served with crepes? Vodka. <laughs> <laughs> Could be anything. That may not be what you're going you're after. You're kind of close, actually. Oh, really? It is, is, it? it is alcoholic. Is it lambic? Beer? It's cider. cider. Oh, okay. Crepes and cider. Yep. 
we know there's the waffle, but there's also the Vietnamese waffle, which is pretty famous and common in Vietnamese restaurants. Right, very, right. very tasty. Um, it's flavored with coconut. And what other plant that gives the waffle its green color and nutty sweet vanilla-like aroma? Mm. Vietnamese waffles are green. What makes them green? Is it pistachio? Incorrect. Hmm. It is a plant used in Southeast a Asian plant. cooking. Cilantro? Mint? Lemongrass? No. What is it? It is pandan. Oh. You guys may have never heard of it, but definitely you will know that taste. Oh. It's used in a lot of South Asian cooking. Oh. A lot of rice is cooked with pandan extract or pandan leaves, okay. and it gives it this nutty, like that mm. rice, that good rice flavor. Ah. Pandan is, it's just grass, and it smells nutty and vanilla. Mm. It's very delicious. Also, a cockroach repellent. <laughs> good to know. <laughs> what country produces the most maple syrup in the world chris canada yes yes not, okay. not a trick question yeah, yes. I it uh, specifically do you know what province of canada oh. um quebec yes okay wow. quebec is by it's far... north of like where Vermont is. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. makes sense. Very close makes to the sense. region. Yes. Quebec is responsible for three quarters of the world's maple syrup. Wow. Oh, wow. I was really interested in like the chemical composition of what makes maple syrup taste like maple syrup. Like what's the mm. flavor? It's actually not yet known exactly what compounds are responsible for the maple syrup flavor. Huh. So last question, IHOP, or the International House of Pancakes, is, of course, a restaurant chain here in America. It features a lot of breakfast foods, including pancakes. Ironically, it wasn't until 2012 when International House of Pancakes opened its first actual <laughs> international franchise location. Whoa. What city did IHOP appear in the world, outside of America? Hmm. Shanghai. Incorrect. Dang. Tokyo. Incorrect. No. Not Asia. Oh, not Asia. Dubai. Ah, so another hungry. show I'm ending very hungry here. I know. I know. Well, let's go get some lunch, guys. Sorry. Yeah. All right, and that's our show. Uh, thank you guys for joining me. Thank you guys, listeners, for listening in. Hope you learn a lot of stuff about circus, Jumbo the Elephant, clowns, not get scammed at carnivals, and of course, pancakes. <laughs> you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and also on our website, goodjobbrain.com. Check out our sponsors at bonobos.com, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Later. all trivia nerds Brittany here and i host the family road trip trivia podcast with my best friend meredith is your next car ride looking like a snooze fest <laughs> we've got the cure three rounds of awesome trivia every week harry potter disney science sports you name it no more silent car troubles the family road trip trivia podcast connect laugh and learn with your kids big and small <laughs> New episodes every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast.